Amen. Well, this weekend is uh, a, a very special weekend, Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we are reminded of and that we honor are those that have served in our country, those who fought for our freedoms and that we have and that we express so that we could even say as a country, even though not all believe this or practice it, in God we trust. Amen? And we want to say thank you to all who have served, um, those who gave up their lives in order for that freedom. And really, as we think about the freedoms that you and I share in this country, it reminds us of the greatest battle that was ever fought, and it was for your heart and your soul, done by God on Calvary. Amen? And so as we work our way through the, the catechism questions, one of the things that uh, is so important for us to remember is that there is an overarching story, and it's God's story from beginning to end. And your story fits into God's story. Um, one, of the reasons that I, one of the reasons I'm saying that is uh, next Sunday, um, we have really a, a double treat. We get to uh, hear from Caleb Suko and his family. They have not been back here for quite some time. Uh, tried to get back at the beginning of COVID, could not. Um, they are, he and his wife are in the Ukraine. Uh, they will be sharing with us. Um, that's not, that doesn't mean you get to skip because we have a special speaker. Okay, this is someone that we support as a body, as a church, and it'll be good to hear from him. But that evening at six o'clock here at the church is a second piece of our training. Last two weeks ago, we talked about our story, a person's story that we get to know. On the sixth at six o'clock, we will be sharing and hearing God's story and then how you and I can share that with people, how you and I can share the story of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who are who are not uh, believers, who uh, have not received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Um, it will be important. It's imperative that you get this because when we come to our Something More Family Festival, there will be those of you that might want to say, you know what, I volunteer to actually be a counselor at that event for the sole purpose of being able to share Jesus Christ with people. And knowing that story is imperative. Being comfortable in sharing it and relaxed with it. So it is all about God's story, and I encourage you to, to just put that on your calendar and come and just be a part of it. Our last training was fun just to uh, listen, be encouraged, but then to have some breakout sessions and to actually practice and be a part of that. So today, my, the sermon today is called Grace, uh, The Grace of the Law, The Grace of the Law. And, and as we talk about that, one of the things I just want to start with today is this. We gladly here at Eagle Baptist Church, we, we uh, embrace how we have been saved by grace. Amen? We, we embrace that, not by our own good works or, or by keeping of the law to somehow gain God's approval. We, we embrace wholeheartedly that you and I have been saved by grace. You know, even the Apostle Paul says that we are not under, uh, not, uh, uh, under law, but under grace, as it says in Romans chapter 6 verse 15. And by the way, I'm going to give you a ton of scripture today. I'm not going to have you read them all because there's just a lot of them. So write the references down. Some of them are there in your bulletin so you can keep track and look them up uh, later on. But here's the thing that we need to understand is we're working through this whole piece on the commandments of God. Do we, uh, 
there is an obligation. There is an obligation to submit to God's uh, will in his written word. And that includes the law of God. It is so, so important that that because I've heard people say and there are churches that even preach this that, well, in the new age, in the in the in the uh, in the age of grace, we don't have to we don't have to follow the law anymore. And that is just not true, folks. We have an obligation to submit to God's will as written in his word. We are called to obey his law. Some would say, are we, um, do we, or, or can we, or do we have to obey God's law? And I'm going to say, absolutely. And I'll just flesh that out a little bit as we move along. So in Galatians chapter 3, and I do want to read this um, this morning, Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, it says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified, that means seen as right before God, okay, before God, is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. I'm just going to stop there. I'm just going to say this. Romans chapter 3 through uh, 7, huge components dealing with the law, the law of God. Galatians as well, just dealing with the law of God and how that applies to you and I today in the Christian life, even in our age of grace that we live in. So here's the deal in Galatians 3. To be under the law refers not to obeying the law, but but law relying. In other words, relying on the law. In other words, in other words, uh, we uh, somehow if we are relying on the law, we think that we can win God's approval through our moral performance and obedience, which becomes a crushing burden when we are quote unquote under the law. Okay, I'll, let me just ask a point, kids. How many of you have said, today I'm going to be good? Okay, kids, you keep your hands up. Young people, how many of you said, today I'm going to be good? Adults, how many of you said today, today I'm going to work to be good? I'm going to do good, okay? How many of you succeeded? Every hand should fall. Every hand. To be under the law, okay, is one thing. But when we learn that Christ has fulfilled the law for us and, and, uh, and that now we who believe in him are secure in God's love, here's the thing about the law of God. We will want to delight. We will want to resemble. And we will want to know the one who has done this for us, and that is Jesus Christ. The one who has fulfilled the law, we will want to know. We will want to delight in him and resemble him. So again, the question is, how can we do this? And, I, and here it is, by simply turning to the law. So Paul puts it this way. Though I am not under the law, I, uh, I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21. Though he is not under the law, as a way to earn his salvation, he recognizes he was freed to see the beauties of God's law as fulfilled in Christ, and thus he submits to it as a way of loving and knowing his Savior, Jesus Christ. 
You see, one of the things that we grow up with, and this will be very clear as we go through this today, is that sometimes when we hear the word law, we see it as a have to. Paul is expressing it as a want to. A want to because of what has been done for us through Jesus Christ. So let's just look at how this works. And there's a number of points that I'm going to give out, and they're there in your bulletin. There's references there, but just follow along as we go. So first, how do, when we say, how does, how does this, this law of grace work in us? First, we embrace the law of God in order to learn more about who our God really is. That is first and foremost, that we learn who God really is. In Leviticus chapter 19, and again, just an incredible Old Testament passage, it's a magnificent chapter which both ex expands and also summarizes the Ten Commandments, and it summarizes it with this statement in verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of God's law summarized right there, love your neighbor as yourself. This text shows how God's law is not only a matter of of ritual purity, but, but was also meant to transform every corner of one's practical life. So God's law was meant to transform you from the inside out. To love God and to love others, which is how Christ sum, summates it, is right there, okay? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2 God introduces the whole law by saying this. And I don't know about you, but when I've read this growing up, and I've grown up in church my entire life since diapers, okay, here's the, here's the, man, this has baffled me. Be holy for I am holy. That's like saying I'm going to be good today. Okay, you get it? God says be holy for I am holy. In other words, God is saying if you want to know who I am, if you want to love what I love and hate what I hate, if you want to know my heart and become like me, here's what you need to do. You need to obey my law, and in so doing, you will display my character. You get it? The law is a display of God's character. So first and foremost, we obey the law, because as we do, as we embrace the law of God, it tells us more about who God really is. The second thing that is important for us to catch here is that we embrace the law of God in order to discover our true selves. So uh, Legan Duncan um, points out that God's law reveals our sinful nature, our disobedience, and our inclination to sin. Now, I've said this growing up when I was eight, and I've said it when I'm 48 and older, okay? Here's the deal. Today I'm going to be good, only to fail, all right? God's law, my ability to be good, to be righteous, to be spot on, perfect, fails in and of myself. So uh, this theologian, Lincoln Duncan, said, points out that God's law reveals my sinful nature, my disobedience, and my inclination to sin. That's just a hard thing to take, a hard, hard thing to, to bite onto. But when we, so when we, uh, uh, here's an illustration. Uh, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. And Jesus tells this man after talking to him, in fact, the man says, what must I do 
to have eternal life. Some translations has actually say to get eternal life or to inherit eternal life. And, and Jesus tells this man, after they've gone through this whole list of the laws, which the young man says, I have, I have practiced these and observed these from my youth on up. Then Jesus turns to him and says, you must sell your possessions and give it to the poor. And you're going, for crying out loud, what? This is, if you want to look at sharing the gospel, okay, this is a great passage right here, okay? Because Jesus just goes through the law. The man has said, I have done these basically perfectly from my youth up. And then Jesus says, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. And the young man basically says to Jesus, I can't. And he walks away, sadly. Catch that. There should be a, a poignant pause there, okay? I can't, really I won't, and he walks away sadly. And you have to ask, what is happening here? Jesus Is Jesus saying that we all have to give away our possessions? It's not rhetorical. No, that's not what he's saying here, okay? But in, in the case of the rich young ruler, Jesus is revealing to him by the law of God, catch what I just said, by God's own law, the specific nature of this man's sin. God's law, written word law, it, uh, it reveals the nature of this man's sin. What is the first commandment? To have no other God before me. And there, God in the flesh, Jesus, God in the flesh, is saying to the rich young ruler, what is it going to be? Your money, your possessions, or me, God? That's what Jesus is saying there. Folks, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to giving our hearts, when it comes to surrendering, when it comes to yielding, Jesus is still saying the same thing to you and I. What's it going to be? We could take away the money and possessions and we could just say, is it going to be you or is it going to be me, God? Because in the, re, in, the, in the real thick of it all, money and possessions are really all about me. Okay? So Jesus is still asking the same question. The rich young ruler chooses something over God. In other words, he chooses something before God. He puts something before God. And this leads us to the third thing that the law helps us with. It helps us to understand that you and I are in desperate, desperate need. That's what it does. It, it brings us to that third point that we understand that the law of God is fulfilled in Christ. When we, when we know who God is and we know that we don't measure up to his morality and his character when we know who we are and and we know the sinful inclinations of our heart here's what the law does folks this is old testament pointing to the new testament and you've got to put the two together the law presses us towards jesus it presses us towards a redeemer as i said last week towards someone who rescues us folks you and i all have a need we are lost and we are blind and we are broken because of our sin and we need rescued. We need a savior. You see, folks, 
the law, as we move from Old to New Testament then, we find that the Savior has fulfilled the law. He obeyed it perfectly. He paid the, the penalty that is due, uh, due us for it. The law presses us to the Savior. It points us to the cross. Thankfully, it takes us to Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what the law was meant to do. In the Old Testament, it was really meant to do nothing more than this. It was meant to, as, as the people of the Old Testament were practicing the law, it was meant to, to point them to God. Lord, I need you. God, I need you. In the New Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the one who practiced it perfectly, who obeyed it perfectly, and he paid the price perfectly. It presses us towards Christ. And the fourth thing, then, we realize that the, that the law's painful, convicting work is ultimately a gracious thing. So what seems like a bad thing is really a good thing. You know, one of the things, um, uh, sometimes when, when uh, we used to do uh, ministry with kids, high school kids, and we would, we would do this whole kind of series from God, we begin with God, who is God, and and uh, the works of God, and then you would go into uh, man created by God to love him and to know him, and then we go into sin, and, and we talk about sin and that the fall of man, and, 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 and sometimes we would leave kids, young people, just sitting right there. No hope, lost, blind, dark. And I used to have people say, you can't do that. Yes, we can. And sometimes we need to. Because we will never understand how separated we are from God until we understand that sin has brought us to that place. How much we need God, how much we need rescued, how much we need Christ. Christ in grace, Christ in forgiveness, Christ in mercy, Christ in all the things that we hold to and we cling to make no sense without knowing first how lost we are. Folks, we are too quick to mask sin. We're just too quick to wash over, to glaze. Well, that just is not that bad. No, sin separates completely. Sin leads to death. And that sin, that death is everlasting separation from God. And that was not God's intended plan for you or I. And so we need to understand that, and realize that the law's painful, convicting work is ultimately a gracious thing. It brings us back to that place of need. When we fully comprehend the kind of life the law requires of us, it can be intimidating. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount in, in, in uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, great passage. Jesus basically enfleshes the entire law of God in those chapters. Okay, let me just summate it for you. The Sermon on the Mount, he, Jesus expands or expounds on the, the Ten Commandments in a comprehensive way. He shows us the attitude that we should have uh, to the world being salt and light, investing ourselves uh, in the needs of our communities. He shows us that, we, uh, that uh, if we even disdain and ignore our neighbor, calling them fools, we are attacking their creator in whose image they were, are made. He calls us to never look at another with lust, living lives of purity and chastity. 
He insists that we should speak uh, with, with uh, as much honesty in all of our daily interactions as if we were testifying in a court under oath. We are told to forgive and to love our enemies, turning the other cheek rather than seeking revenge. We are to give to the poor without expecting any thanks or acclaim. We are to give our money away in astonishing proportions and to carry on a dynamic, secret, inner prayer life. We are never to be judgmental or condemning of others, and we are to live a life free of worry. That's the summation of the Sermon on the Mount right there. One minister said, after reading through Matthew 5 through 7 carefully, he said this, God save us from the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> you have to think about it. If you listen to all, uh, all uh, if you listen at all to the law of God, you will, you, you and I will feel, we will feel naked and exposed and ashamed and helpless. And you will, I will seek out the mercy of God. That's the way Paul explains it. Uh, uh, he explains that, uh, that th uh, through the law, uh, when listened to in, in Romans chapter 7, and you can just write this down, 7 through uh, about, a, about 14. Here's the, when we listen to the law, here it is. It's devastating in 7 through, uh, in, in 9 through 11. Yet it is nevertheless spiritual righteousness and good. Verse 12 and verse 14. And it works. And its work is ultimately gracious. So even though it's devastating, it is nevertheless spiritual, righteous, and good. And its work is ultimately gracious, we find back in verse 7. That is the law of God. So Paul says that it acts as a kind of strict schoolmaster who leads us to Christ in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. So we need to understand that this law that we're talking about is painfully convicting. It is, but it's ultimately a gracious thing. The fifth thing that I want to say this morning is this, that, that we turn to the law of God in order to get a true definition of what it means to love others in our relationships and in the society as a whole. There was once a, a school of, of ethics called Situation Ethics. And, it, and really what Situation Ethics did was it rejected the biblical law as too rigid. Okay? Instead, it taught that we only need to do the loving thing, what we think is best for the other person. But that begs a question, you guys, in the Christian community. It begs a huge question, how do you and I know what's best for the other person? All right, let me give you an example. Please don't answer this out loud, okay? <laughs> Is sleeping together with someone before marriage the best thing or worst thing for him or her? How do you know? How do you know if you're the one who decides what, what the best thing is, loving them is, and is deciding what is best for them. How do you know? You see, 
The law of God's way says this. If you want to love others, act this way. I created people and I know what is best for them. We need to turn back to the word of God and his commands and his laws in order to tell people what is best for them. Because sometimes what is what we think is best is not always the best. And that is so important for us to understand. That is why Paul, the Apostle Paul later would write in, in Romans 13, he said, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13, 9 and 10. You see, the law of God then gives you and I Christians guidance, not only in personal relationships, but it also helps us as we seek to make our society a more just and merciful one. Folks, can I just tell you this? There are a lot of people in our culture and our society that would like to say, well, that doesn't work anymore. Or God's law no longer applies. Or what God really meant to say was. And I just want to say, no, God's law is perfect and good and righteous. And friend, we don't have to condemn. We don't have to judge. We just need to proclaim the truth. What do people need? Folks, I, I, I'm in conversations with people all week, some that are believers and some that aren't. And you have to ask the question, what do people need? What's going on in their hearts? And if you don't know, then I just want to say, ask more questions. But I can tell you this. If we're all sinners, there's a great need for all of us. It doesn't matter whether we're saved or not. All of us need to be led back to the cross. All of us need to be brought back to a place of Jesus and what he has done for us and what he has fulfilled for us. And as believers, what we now have in us because it's no longer I that live but Christ in me. What do people need? And out of that then, um, what does it mean to treat people with dignity? Folks, there are people out there in the world today that are doing heinous things and somehow we're just told that in our culture and our society that we can't say anything, that we shouldn't say anything. And to say something is it just means that we're racist and bigots and whatever. And, and folks, that's not, here's the deal. People need to be treated with dignity because they were all created in God's image. Some are still lost. Some are blind because of sin. Some are just choosing to sin. But nonetheless, what do people need and how do we come alongside them and treat them with dignity? The law of God, here's what it does, folks. It informs and it directs a Christian's political and social involvement. Folks, you cannot separate God from your involvement in politics and in social involvement. You cannot. The two have to be together. In fact, the spheres are locked together. God meant them to be that way. Just one thing I just want to say here real quickly. It's not us 
the believer against them, the non-believer. Folks, that is, that is a mindset that needs to be eradicated from the Christian church of today. We are all human beings created in the image of God. P.S. We were all created to know Him. We were all created to love Him. We were all created to, to live with Him forever. And there is only one thing that separates us from God, and that is our sin. And in Jesus Christ, if by faith you have believed that, you are, you are on your way to heaven. Amen? The only difference between you and the unbeliever is Christ. That's it. It's Christ. It's not you. It's not me. It's not the church. But in Christ, you, me, the church, are called to be light and called to be an ambassador. And called to be a, we're called to be a reflection of God, of His morality and of His character, of His love and mercy and forgiveness, but also His justice and His wrath and His condemnation of sin. Not condemnation of the person, of sin that separates them from him. We're talking about what is the purpose of the law? Finally, we turn to the law because God, some, uh, the law of God, because sometimes we need to do things just because God says so. Parents, how many times have you said to your kids, because I said so? Okay, we've all heard it. We've all said it, Okay. You know, in the garden, God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he never told them why. Did you know that? He never told them why. Why is it that we want to know the why? Okay? It's it's really, it just shows our bent, our fallenness. Okay? Some of us simply hate to follow directions unless we know all the reasons why the direction was given and how it will benefit us and so on. We want to know. You know, the first time that they changed the speed limit out on the Eatonville cutoff road there, out towards the the Highway 7, they changed it to 45. Guess what I asked? Why? And you know why? And and you know why it's still a struggle? Uh, because I don't like it. And it slows me down. And, and, and it's not that I want to drive 100 miles an hour, but it just seems like I, it just, I, I just don't understand it. But guess what? It's a law. And it calls me to, to consider other people. It, it, it calls me, P.S., by the way, to consider um, school times when kids are getting on and off buses. And a whole bunch of other things. It, could, it calls me to consider my neighbor, to love my neighbor. And it also calls me to, to uh, yield to a higher power than me. That is a civic law. I don't like it. I just don't like it. I believe that God tells Adam and Eve, obey this direction not because you understand, but because you know that I am your God and you are not. Did you catch that? I am asking you to do this because I am God and you are not. Folks, if we would just put that into practice in every facet of our life, life would be a whole lot smoother. P.S. 
God allowed the civic governing authorities to put that law in place. Guess who's in charge of the civic law? God. God put it there. Here's the deal. They chose. They chose to reject God and they failed to keep his commands. And folks, I'm just going to tell you something because I know you've thought about it because I have. When I get to heaven, you are not going to ask Adam and Eve why they did that. You know why? You know why I know that? Because you will look only, you only have to look inside. And you will know why. Okay? Here it is. Because of Christ. Because of Christ in us. Because as a, as a, a group of believers, as a body, as a family of Christ here at EBC and in the world that we live in, because of Christ in us, we have the opportunity to put things right, to put this right. We can still do God's will. We can do God's will. Not because it's exciting, though it will eventually be an adventure. Not because it will meet all your needs or my needs, though it will eventually be a joy. Not because you're, you understand why this path of uh, why this is the path of wisdom, though it will eventually become more clear to you. You do it because He is your Lord and Savior, and you are not. The purpose of the law, folks, for you and I as believers today, you do it because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you are not. You do it because it is the law of the Lord. And if you do it, if you do it, folks, if you obey, if I obey, if we obey even in the smallest, tiniest things, here's, here's the fruit. Here's what comes out of this. Here's what I want us to understand today as we close. You will know God. Did you catch that? You will know God if you obey, if you follow, if you trust, if you yield, if you surrender your heart and say, okay, God. I will follow, I will obey, I will trust you. I will trust your goodness. I will trust that you have my front and my back, I, that you are my provider, that you are my protector, that you are my spoken word. You will, and I will know God. Here's the second thing. You and I will know ourselves. And in that, you will know your need daily. You will find God's grace every single day. Folks, I have to tell you something. I'm going to be honest as your pastor. The toughest day in all of the week for me is Sunday morning before I get here. You want to know why? Because I am laid bare before my God. All of my failures, all of my selfishness, all of... Me, 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 me is laid before God. And the only way that I could ever, as your shepherd and pastor, come before you and say anything is by coming before the Lord in confession. My need, my need for him, 
You will know yourself. We will know ourselves. We will find his grace. Folks, you will love your neighbor. And you will simply honor God as God. That's awesome. That is just incredible. Folks, this is the purpose of God's law. And as one pastor said, that's not a bad deal. That's just not a bad deal. As our country fought for the freedoms that we stand on today, God has fought the battle for your heart and my heart. And he won through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The freedom that you and I share in our country pales in light of the freedom that you and I share and that we experience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this morning, I just want to say, as we're uh, leaving here and as we sing our, our last song, you might be here today and maybe you're still pondering this whole thing of the law and God and all these things and how does this work and does it how does it fit? Can I just tell you this? God made you. God loves you. God desires to be in a relationship with you. Sin has separated you from him. And Jesus Christ has paid the price so that you might be able to come back to him. And you must acknowledge all of those things in a, in a simple prayer to begin with and just say, God, I recognize that I was made for you and that I was made to know you and to love you and to serve you. And, and as Adam and Eve, I chose the way of sin. I chose to reject you and to walk away from you. But I also see now that Jesus Christ paid the price. Jesus paid it all so that I might be have that opportunity by faith to come back to you. Invite him to be your Lord and Savior, folks. We celebrate national freedom today. We celebrate a country that still stands on freedom. But folks, above and beyond that, is a freedom from sin and the bondage of slavery and the separation from God. I'm going to ask Tom to come and we're going to lead this last song and then I will close afterwards in prayer. So let's stand as we sing this song.